my pleasure, I'm going to invite up beautiful Eve Schrader to share with us our kids, our, uh, our kids, uh, what is it, our kids prayer, kids, kids sermon, kids moment, it's an imaginative prayer. Please welcome Eve. Is this at a good level that you can hear me? Okay. Well, yes, my name is Eve. I'm Eve Schrader. I've got two kids, and um, I've been teaching a little bit at uh, their PV kids stuff for a little while, and it's been awesome because I like people. So it's so good to see you guys today, and this is especially for kids, but for everybody because we all need more imagination in our life, right? So, we've asked this question a few weeks here already, but who can tell me what season it is? Shout it out. Yes, spring and Easter. Well done. So, this week is the very last week of our Easter season because we're going to start a new one next week. Um, so... The next week is going to be Pentecost, and we'll talk more of that next week. But let's focus a little bit more on Easter for our last week here. Um, there's so many things that Jesus put in our hearts through his resurrection that will stay with us the whole time, um, for the whole year, and the rest of our lives. And today... We're going to let this idea get into our hearts and our minds and our lives. This is the idea. <clears throat> the resurrection happened because God wants us to, to be with us forever, even when we can't see him. Now, the resurrection can be kind of confusing, right? Because Jesus was raised from the dead, and when you're alive, you're usually around. Take a big breath. God's spirit is kind of like the wind. You can think about the wind to help us understand the Holy Spirit. Who here can actually see the wind? Raise your hand. Can you see it? No? Can anybody not see the wind? Oh, interesting. All right. Well, sometimes I feel like I can see the wind because I can see all the things that the wind might do. I'm watching over here, and some wind is playing with my friend's hair. Or I look over here at the flag, and the wind is playing with the flag. Oh, yeah. The wind is here. Even though you might not be able to see it, we can see the effects of the wind. Yeah, I'm looking at that flag. Do you see it? Yeah. Peter sees it. Cool. All right, I'm sorry I lost my place. All right, so wind is usually 
invisible, but we can definitely see the effects of it. And it's just like with the Holy Spirit. God moves around our world and our lives, but he's usually moving invisibly, but we can see the effects of him. When the Holy Spirit fills our whole lives, we can speak powerful truth in that spirit, in God's spirit. And when he fills our lives to speak powerful truth, Jesus kind of comes alive in a special way, especially in our words and our breath and our lives. And when we show love to others, that's God living through us just like the wind. All right. Now, who thinks wind and breath is important? Raise your hand. Who thinks it's not really important because we don't even think about it all the time? Nobody thinks it's important. Let's just reiterate that it is important. So everybody hold your breath, and I'm going to count to ten. Ready? important? Yes. Yes, it's very important. Trees are super important. That's totally true. I love the partnership of plants and animals, us being part of the animal kingdom, and they work together with this air thing. Isn't that amazing? Yes. All right. So, our breath super important. God in our lives, super important. Today's Bible verse shows us how God is important like that and lives in us, even though we can't see him. So pay close attention because we're all going to play a game after I read the Bible verse to see if you understand what it's telling us. Here it is. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges Jesus, that he is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. All right. Are you ready for the game? Let me hear a woo! All right. So, I want you to either cheer really loud if I say something in the passage that is what the passage is saying. But I need you to boo, boo, if it's not right. Okay, got it? Correct? Yay. Wrong, boo. All right. <clears throat> Number one. Do you think this is right? If you can embarrass people 
because you know more about the Bible than them, then God lives in you, and you and God. Boo! Embarrassing people. Who wants to make people feel bad? That's cheesy. That's not loving, huh? Okay, number two. If you hate everybody outside of the church and make sure everybody in the church is always afraid because God lives in you, then that's right. Correct again. You guys are really good at this game. Okay. Yeah. All right. Number three. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them because God is love. Woo! All right. That must be really important because it's said in there quite a few times. All right. How about this one? If somebody says that Julius Caesar or the emperor of Rome or the president or the biggest pop star is the son of God because he brings us peace and security with his giant armies, yeah, God doesn't live in that. That's what's in the notes. I don't know. I must have read it wrong. All right. <laughs> um, okay. That one did not have the lesson in it. When our Bible verse was written, there actually was, um, there were real people that were saying that about Julius Caesar, because he was the leader of the time. And that's why the this next part is really important. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and them in God. Yay! Yay! So first, John, who wrote our, our verse, um, verses, he puts two ideas together. One, God is love. Yay! And two, Jesus is the son of God. I know. They're kind of like the same thing, just in different ways, though. Because Jesus shows us that God is love through his life and his living and his breath and his death and then his resurrection. I don't think that we always directly see love. Like, we just don't see the wind. It doesn't have, like, a particular color or um, an image. But we can see it play out in people's lives, especially in Jesus. Um, when somebody really understands this and says that Jesus is the son of God, not Caesar, they or we become like Easter people. People with God's life and love breathing through them. So take a deep breath again. Breathe out love. Good. As we move from Easter to Pentecost, remember the resurrection happened because God wants to be with us forever. Even when we can't see God. Remember to mute. I think it, oh, sorry. Welcome to Central Vineyard, guys. Wow, we're under the big tent. You know, this is, wow. 
Depending on who you are, this tent uh, reminds you of three things. A comp fest, cornerstone fest, or a circus. Actually, I remember years and years ago, my son and I went to an event at this church. And this church was uh, a little peculiar church. In fact, this church probably uh, would maybe take uh, issue with us because uh, they're very much like a super patriotic church, really aligning themselves with one particular country rather than like God's global kingdom and other stuff. Well, anyway, the church had all these weird banners and streamers everywhere. And it was like, uh, and my son walks in, he's like two. He goes, oh no, dad, it's the circus because I had mistakenly taken my son to see Ringling Brothers, Barnum Bailey Circus, and as soon as the clowns came out, we went out. And from that then on, anything remotely circus just communicated uh, evil and murder to my son. So then going to a church that looked, so my son is here today. Ian, are you past being triggered by circusy things? Are, are we cool? Well, there's no scary clowns coming to get you right now, I promise. But anyway, um, I just thought I'd say that. But hey, uh, little by little, people are trickling in to come and see us in person. I'm looking forward to uh, kind of the outdoor mask mandate being lifted in a couple of the, what is it, the second? Is that what's happening? Um, with my vaccinated friends, we've been catching up on a year's worth of hugs which has been kind of awkward for my guy friends because you know you do that hug and you do the symbolic pat on the back three times. I've just been leaning into the hug, holding maybe a little bit of a caress just because I've been touch deprived. Uh, you know, it's fully appropriate. And if someone really did not give their consent like they pushed away, I would totally honor that. But I've just been hug deprived right now. As Adrian would say, hugs are my jam. So I look forward to, as we get more and more uh, beat this uh, pandemic, that hugs will make a main, consensual hugs, uh, more often side hugs, just to, to be cool here, would make a comeback. But it's weird, in this little small gathering, let's see, what nations do we have? We, we have the United States uh, represented here. We've, we've got Ghana represented here. We've got Cuba, we've got Mexico. Uh, in some ways, if you depend on how much, I don't know, Dana, do you officially count as a Philippine citizen now, spending most of your life there, you and Chris? No, you're, you're global citizens, right? Yeah, you're, you're, so we, we got a ton of, and UK, oh yeah, don't forget the UK, uh, who uh, every 4th of July I shed a tear that we're not part of the UK because they've got the best science fiction television shows and, uh, but we don't have as much rain. Anyway, I'm sorry. This, but hey, today I want to talk about something that I think is very important, especially as we are heading into face-to-face -face interactions after a year or years, or for some of you, a life of outrage. All right, and I want to uh, basically talk about how we're going to invest our cognitive, emotional, and spiritual energy uh, going forward here, and something that's just really important. So it's going to be kind of, I, I'm actually, it's a really simple talk 
where I'm going to just kind of hopefully repeat myself over and over. I, I was going to use the imagery of a jackhammer, like until we break through the concrete, but jackhammers on our heart is not really positive energy. So I'm thinking I want to take a lot of time to fortify the soil so the plant of Jesus' goodness can grow. All right, so I'm going to read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 4. Uh, chapter 4 is a really cool chapter because it's basically like, hey, here's some good ways to live Jesusly. And it's kind of one of these list chapters of this, what constitutes a life of loving people, what constitutes a life of loving God. And really, when you read through these, what constitutes treating people as innately precious beings who are close to the heart of God, who deserve our love, awe, and reverence? So when we read this passage, we're, we're not, this isn't just a set of rules. This is like, uh, like one of these uh, bulleted lists saying, hey, here's some ways you can start really loving one another in living out this life. So I'm going to start, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to start with uh, verse 29. Actually, I'll start 25. How do we do this? Oh my gosh, the phone just rang. God? God? No. Hey, I always want to be one. My, my dad, who, you know, I'm still mourning his passing. I remember the time my dad called me in the middle of a sermon. I didn't have my rainer off. So I just pulled the phone up and said, He goes, Hey, Jeff, what are you doing? I said, Well, I'm preaching right now. You're alive. He goes, Oh, well, why'd you answer? I said, Well, you called when I was preaching. You know, you're in fragile health. I don't know if something might have happened. Uh, he never called when I was preaching again. I, I miss that. Anyway, uh, therefore, each of you, put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's stealing, um, steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. And they may have something to share with those in need. Here's I'm really going to punch it here. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed from the day of redemption. Come on, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Wow, that's kind of a tall order. He's basically saying, like, why don't you just get a Holy Ghost-like fire hose to wash all the funkiness out of the, your life. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4, second half. 29 is where I'm really hitting it today, though. And I love this. Like, this, as this moves up the apex of the passage, it goes to being kind to one another and then gives the the coup de grace of kindness, which is forgiving one another. And there's a couple of presumptions here. First of all, it presumes that the people who are going to be together in this community will have ample opportunities to forgive one another. Now, we are in a culture that likes to try to put people in that have so much affinity with one another, and so much agreement with one another, that they may not even annoy one another, or keep it shallow enough to where you don't have an opportunity to forgive. But there's something about Christian communities, get together 
and let people see what an actual mess you are. And when you do something to upset them, they got to forgive you. Like, do life in such a way that you have opportunities to forgive and be forgiven. It's basically, we're called to a mess. We're called to messy relationships. We're called to messy marriages. We're called to be messy parents. And the reality is we're a mess whether, anyway, we're a mess. But the call to be authentic in your messiness and to be free in forgiveness. Now, there's one element here I want to really focus on because the thing is, anytime we choose to do something with our very finite human emotional energy, our finite cognitive abilities, our ability to be present to observe reality around us, we are so limited. Anytime we use those abilities, we're choosing not to do something in order to do the thing we are doing. Everything we choose to do is a decision of a hundred things we're choosing not to do. We can't do everything. And we have, so we have to have our values set up straight. And I think this takes a level of mindfulness that requires the Holy Spirit for going to do it. And I want to talk about building each other up. As the NIV says, the other past, uh, translations say, encourage one another. I like both of those. What I especially like about building one another up is it says, that's a, I hear a funny little bird. Is that low? Whoa, you sound like a little bird nest. I love you. You're your little, oh, Lord bless low. Whatever, by the way, whenever a baby makes a noise in church, that's the Holy Spirit saying, let's pray for that baby. All right? So we're all going to pray for low right now. And you guys online, pray too. Father God, for precious low, I pray you would knit her together as she continues to grow. Knit her mind, her, her uh, neurology her uh, biology, her, uh, uh, every system of the body, I'm not a doctor, knit her together in a way that brings glory to you. Bring her joy, her family joy. May your Holy Spirit reside on that family, surprising them with your goodness and grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. So, uh, you know what's going to happen is some parents are going to start squeezing their babies. Said, my baby's been acting up. We need to get some prayer for my baby. Come on, cry in church. <laughs> you know, uh, no one would do that. Oh. Uh, encourage one another according to their needs. Build one another up according to their needs. And what I love about build up is the idea that interpersonal interactions we have with another person literally can change their bodies interpersonal interactions we have with one another, but come on, our culture should be way over this whole body, mind, and spirit division, right? Our culture should be, I mean, yeah, it, it may be good for certain medical practices to separate cardio and pulmonary. You know, you have heart specialists and lung specialists, but the real deal is heart and lungs are worthless without one another. They're actually one system, cardiopulmonary. In the same way, uh, body, mind, and spirit, we have this division. And what we've had in Western culture is we've had people groups, no matter what philosophy this people group attains to, that neglect the emotional elements of their lives, whether it's Stoics 
whether it's Christians, whether it's whatever. People that neglect emotional care, but the reality is our emotions are intensely practical. Speaking of practical... Oh, wow. I remember back in the day, Adrian used to help get my hair from being all messy, but then I went bald. And now she has to find... Thank you. Oh, you're great, Adrian. So anyway, like, emotional care actually affects bodies. And us being mindful of the emotional soul state of others allows us to be a positive influence in the building up of their bodies. It's proven that people who have different, children who grow up in different kinds of households, if you grow up in a really a dangerous, scary, abusive, yelling household, have a different brain than children that grow up in a household of peacemaking and kindness and forgiveness and gentleness. Children that grow up being held and hugged in, on a bunch, even wrestled with playfully, their brains develop differently than children that are just kind of kept at a distance from their parents. In fact, they, they literally find out like, the development of empathy in a child through wrestling around, play wrestling, you know, when you, you, you fight with your kids, develops such a level of empathy in their brains because in play fighting, you're being physically aggressive but not hurting someone. It's like, it's really major work to be able to tickle someone and realize, okay, it's gone too far. And it develops a brain, but this idea that playful interactions, encouragement, uh, tending to the emotional state and being mindful of the emotional state of others, literally, the results of that over time will show up on an MRI. I have so often heard that when we talk about being kind and gentle and all these attributes, uh, I've literally heard of church traditions and know people have been a part of church traditions that think that's the fluffy duffy stuff in scripture and we need the deep doctrine of scripture. You know, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need, I just want to know the straight dope, pastor. I don't, you don't need to care. Don't worry about me. Just tell me. And then I want to argue with you about this point of theology. I said, but really, what's going on behind this argument? You really seem upset. What's really going on? No, come on. Can we just move it? I want to talk about this. I said, but I'm worried about you. you you're acting in such a way that like, I mean, I love you. I can't think of, in this state of agitation you're in, I can't think of anyone wanting to have lunch with you. You're probably feeling isolated right now. What's going on in your soul? We can talk about that other stuff, but let's pay attention to the movements of the heart. And this person said, well, just, uh, come on, I, I'm above that, you know, I know you're into this happy, clappy, emotionalistic, hyper-emotionalistic Christianity. And this person had grown up in a deal where they literally conceived the brain in this ridiculous, or the human in these ridiculous three categories that you could separate, or these four temperaments. Friends, when we tend to one another's emotional well-being, when we're mindful of another's emotional well-being, we, with the Holy Spirit, are enlisted in a partnership in renovation of people's hearts. We are invited to partner in the, with the Holy Spirit, with the animating power of God that holds the universe together. We are invited to be part of the maintenance crew and the remodeling crew of the souls of others. This is not fluffy, duffy, emotionalistic, not deep. What, I mean, it, it's kind of interesting. Paul starts in his books 
with this doctrine. And then, and they always culminate in the how you love one another. So this deep doctrine is just the preamble to dealing with people's relational integrity with one another. You think of the apex of these books, so often, kindness. I love it, Colossians, he makes it really clear. Colossians is like the kissing cousin to Ephesians. He says, therefore, the biggest therefore in the book of Ephesians, and Ephesians has the highest Christological doctrine of any book of the Bible. Well, maybe Hebrews, you could kind of go. Therefore, clothe yourselves in kindness, gentleness, and humility. I gotta be honest, a lot of my upbringing in the so-called body of Christ was not something I would call gentle. Now listen, the most influential people on my soul were my parents, praise God. And when it came to Jesus stuff, they were super gentle. When they came to Jesus stuff, in fact, my mom, even when people would judge me uh, in, in like a Christian school setting or in a church setting, she would always say, oh, ignore them. It only matters what Jesus thinks. No one else, nothing else matters but what Jesus thinks of you. And I took that maybe to extremes. I'm like, well, I'm going to be as disruptive as I can because Jesus has such a lot of patience. But uh, having said that, but I literally had been in a circumstance once where I heard someone berated for using a swear word. A young person was berated for swearing. And it wasn't even one of the nice, juicy swear words. It was one of those, is it a swear word or is it not? It depends what decade. It wasn't a nice, juicy, uh, fortifying swear word. It was just a low-grade swear word. But this kid, the teacher, started lambasting this child and telling them things about their character and about their soul. And if you were to imagine this person coming in with a toolkit, they were getting a pry bar and busting apart the walls of this child's soul. They were, had a hammer and chisel and they were dismantling this child's soul and they were quoting Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, while they were doing a demolition act in the name of Jesus. Guys, it's not exaggerating to say that is the spirit of Antichrist. The process of dismantling someone's soul, and many people are here who have heard from a person in power, in the name of Jesus, imputations on your character where you felt dismantled. And friends, that dismantling can get in the way of our souls. If we've been dismantled by the words of others, it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to become a dismantler of the souls of other people, but it might mean we are timid to step up to the plate to be a soul constructor. It might be that we're timid to step up to the plate and deploy this awesome power in the role we've been given with the Holy Spirit to construct and renew and fortify the souls of others, to make beautiful the souls of others. This is deep theology. Paul has to go into the deep theology of who Christ is because if we do not apprehend the power of God, we cannot have the empowerment to go into this soul construction site because soul construction, soul beautifying, soul re renovation is hard. And I'll, I'll tell you, uh, there's a lie, like those of you that struggle with some mental thingy bobbers, like I, I really struggle with depression. And one temptation when I'm depressed is to feel like people are in this good place and I'm in this bad place. 
When probably more often than not, when I'm depressed, I just have a gateway to where most people are feeling in one way or another. What if when I were depressed, I have this temptation to feel isolated from people when really in my depression, I'm having an experience of the hardship of this world. I'm actually closer to most of humanity. You know, how many people who do good, who feel weary for doing good, they feel weary for engaging suffering, they feel emotionally depleted because they're staring into suffering. But then take all the narcissistic people, they're just seeking themselves, they're by default miserable. I've never seen a happy narcissist in my life. I've never seen a joyful person grasping for power. You know, I watched probably too many uh, political commentary YouTubes or interviews with different luminaries on the world stage at their rallies. These guys are miserable. They're miserable. So by default, the exploiters and demolishers of human beings are miserable. But then caregivers and those who care for the vulnerable oscillate into the sadness and depression. And we, let's not think that our sadness sets us apart from other people. Let's think that our sadness brings us close to people and realize one way that elevates me, it helps me to pull out of depression is I, I've noticed when I'm depressed, I don't stop noticing what's amazing about other people if I ask God to show me. If I, no matter how depressed I've been, I've always, there's certain people I've always noticed the radiance of their souls and the beauty of God within them, even though chemically I'm down. And I believe God through the Holy Spirit gives us the power to obey everything written in scripture. And the idea of building people up according to their needs. When I'm sad and I have an interaction with someone, I can still see something good to call out in them, good to speak to them. Even, it may not be a big renovation project, but maybe I can just, you know, sweep up a little mess in their life by speaking a word of encouragement. But guys, if we think that we're exceptional in our suffering, we lose the opportunity to notice that we're actually in the fellowship of suffering that Jesus started. You know, one day he's going to wipe away every tear, but in this between worlds, we see the joy and we see the sorrow. We see homelessness and we see people being homed. We see illness, we see healing. We see justice, and we see brutal people getting off scot-free. Man, I was just, by the way, I was so blessed to see at least a symbol of justice in the city's ginormous payout to the Andre Hill family. Amen? Andre Hill, who, unarmed Andre Hill, who walked down a darkened driveway with a cell phone to see what was going on and was shot hog-tied and left to bleed out. And it's not just, I mean, listen, it's, it doesn't make it right, but to actually, it is a step when the city recognizes we need to do something bigger than we've ever done to show that we need to change. So if I'm gonna call out our hometown, Columbus, I'm a Columbus, I, I'm a shareholder in Columbus, I pay taxes to Columbus, I'm gonna go to stockholder meetings, I wanna talk about what I think of my company and your company. And I think our company, I want to encourage Columbus, hey, Columbus, hey, leaders, thank you for this payout. Let's have more. I mean, that, that kind of, I don't know, that's a little excursion, but I know, I, uh, you know, whenever I think about brutality, I think of how it happens in my neighborhood and how powers engage in brutality in Tampa. But anyway, back to building up, back to encouraging. Friends, we, I have a limited amount of processing power. 
and I get to a point every day where I'm done thinking. Usually, okay, I'm done thinking, Netflix goes on, right? I'm done thinking. And you figure how many opportunities you have for deep thinking. And frankly, two things require a lot of brain energy, even if it's your talent, wit and encouragement. Wit and encouragement, and I respect wit. And I love how a few well-placed words in a ninja-like faction can do a pushback against someone's unkindness, that someone does something that hurts you or hurts someone you love, you can express wit towards them, dismantle them in a few words, and then feel that little kind of buzz of like, take that. And you know, even the scriptures use wit sometimes. Read, I think it's Isaiah 41 when he's using the most incredible satire about idolatry. But listen, the same energy for wit is also the same energy to notice what God is doing amidst the mess of someone's life. That same discernment power, that same cognitive power, that same soul mojo that the Holy Spirit parts to you can be used to notice what is good and beautiful in someone's life. And when you build one another up, you're not building them, you're not just the power of positive thinking, you're noticing that no matter how bad it gets, it's really hard to stop the work of God in someone's life. There's a little burning ember. There's a tiny little spark. You know, I've been learning, okay, I'm a nerd. I, I, I always have a new thing, ham radio, you know, vintage comic books, uh, penny dreadfuls in the Victorian age, Victorian story. I got I've been learning bushcraft lately. And I uh, made my first flint and steel fire yesterday. And the goal is to get this little ember. And then you build a bird nest of different kinds of twigs and cotton and dust and splinters together. And the idea is you make this tiny little spark you cradle the bird nest, you lift it up with your hands, and you gently kind of woo it. Like, it looks like when you see people making a bird nest on the internet, it looks like they're just going, it looks like they're getting ready to kiss a baby. And they say it's either prayer or kiss a baby. And eventually they get this ball of fire they put down and start a huge fire to warm themselves. And the idea is you're stranded in the Arctic or you're stranded in, uh, on the cold tundra and you're gonna, freeze to death and die, you start, make a little ember. First thing you do, drop everything, make a little ember, build a bird nest around it, and start blowing on it. I think there's a work of God like that little ember in virtually every human being. Now, the scripture does talk about some people whose consciousnesses get totally burned away. The Bible has a category for people that enter into this sociopathic area where there is no level of empathy left anymore. But that's Let's just, let's just say that's above our pay grade to notice. In everyone in this tent, everyone under this tent has a little ember. And maybe it's a flame, maybe it's a spark. We are given the power in our words to encourage that spark, to hold that little bird nest of fire and make it into a warming fire. That can warm others and that can start other fires. So friends, what I'm asking us to do is in the era of outrage for a good reason. Let's make sure our first fruits of cognitive ability go to encouraging one another according to our needs. So if, if encouragement is the opposite of unwholesome talk, then unwholesome talk isn't necessarily, doesn't mean swearing. Now I'm not saying everyone go and swear, you know, you guys have such a creative vocabulary. 
You know, some, some situations call for it. Even Paul swore a little bit. But let me say this. Use unwholesome talk would be anything that demolishes people. Unwholesome talk might also be anything that takes away the power you have to encourage. And friends, we've been through stinking year of social isolation. I feel, I feel isolated too. I feel disconnected to almost everyone in this room in a way I didn't feel disconnected a year ago. I feel disconnected to everyone in this room in a way I did not feel disconnected a year ago. And listen, I love our, our dis socially distanced walk. I love, you know, that we've had Zoom calls together and we've talked together. But frankly, I have a hard time with facial recognition because some uh, neurological idiosyncrasies about how I'm built. It gets exponentially worse with masks. You know how many people I've said hi to that then thought, like, well, and then act like I know them and I realize, oh, that's not the person I knew. I mean, I did that a lot before masking. And now I, I just, I had a really embarrassing thing with a young woman at North Star. She was wearing a mask and I start talking to her and I realize that's not the person I'm talking to. And hello, I'm a dork. Anyway, uh, th this idea that I feel distant from you and this, that we are beginning to actually do this communion thing where it isn't DIY communion at home all the time, and that was great, I love doing it, but the fact that we can get a little grape juice slobber together on the side of our lips as we eat this apparently not gluten-free communion thing, we'll work on that. I wanna just pray a prayer in a Holy Spirit impartation that there are people with a gift of encouragement you know, they, people have a superpower. And just because some people have a superpower doesn't mean people have to use a normal bit of that power. Like, Superman has super strength, but we all have enough strength to work, right? Just because we're not Superman doesn't mean we don't have strength. In the same way, just because we may not have the spiritual gift of encouragement being our primary area of gifting, this passage doesn't say, uh, build up, if you're gifted with the gift of encouragement, build up one according to their needs. It says, build up one, presuming everyone's got it if you got the Holy Spirit. So what I want to ask is this, guys. Guys, whatever your level of snark, whatever my level of snark in wit, whatever level of outrage is, can we dial that down? Not because we're in denial of the injustice of our world, but can we take from the power in that category and specifically think of encouraging actual people to looking at someone, looking at their face and praying for them, say, Jesus, what are you doing? What do I know of their story? Maybe even asking people, hey, what's been going on in your life? And keep asking good open-ended questions till you see where the ember is located. Then you can cradle the ember and blow it into a flame. So friends, Let's take some of the snark. Let's take some of our critical thinking ability. It's good to be critical thinkers, but can we invest a big chunk in the building people up fund? Can we do that? Let's ask the, amen? So guys, I wanna ask the Holy Spirit to actually give us a paranormal empowerment that goes beyond trying harder. Just curious, does trying harder work for anyone? Uh, trying harder doesn't work. Trying harder is just, 
trying harder to feel bad about yourself. You know, for me, trying harder to be good. But effort is not trying hard. Our effort is towards prayer to allow God to help us do this. So I want to pray a prayer of blessing on all of us. Let's hold our our house. Worship team, come up. Father God, we hold our hands out either literally or figuratively and ask you to give us what is not in our hands right now. And that is the power to encourage and build up more than we're doing right now. God, we recognize encouragement. Give us a view that like encouragement is powerful in the same way someone would see an arm to the teeth, green beret going to rescue someone, God, that we would see more than the physical might of violence, that encouragement is the spiritual and physical might of disrupting a suicide. Lord, help us to be suicide disruptors. Help us be barriers to depression. Help us be shame eradicators. Fill us with this. Help us to fan sparks to supernovas. And Lord, that your encouragement would go this, God. Help us to be less critical and more constructing. To, re- to resist the powers we criticize. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, when he was betrayed... He built up his disciples with these words. He said, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood, it's for you. Jesus took the image of building up. We talked about building up with speech. Jesus said, whenever you break bread, whenever you're eating, remember what I've done for you because I'm gonna animate you with my power to be builders as well. And keep doing this, Paul said, till Jesus returns. So, Lord Jesus, we pray your power and presence on these elements. Amen.